Have you ever had someone tell you to get a life? I'm not, yeah? You don't have to give me the details on that lie, but I can tell that that stuck with you somehow, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, last night, I was out for a dinner with friends and um, met a young couple in their 20s that both kind of sort of grew up in the church but kind of got disillusioned. And the young woman was telling me about something that had happened to her father in an evangelical church in Winnipeg that shall remain nameless this morning. He had been interviewed in the life in in the the newspaper and someone had read this article and disapproved of a particular lifestyle choice he had made Uh, that wasn't really a big deal but anyway this person anonymously cut out the newspaper article and put all kinds of question marks over it and circled you know what they had done wrong and stuck it in his church mailbox basically sent him an anonymous letter saying, anonymous hate mail. So I'm like, this is really bad. What do you think you're doing? In his church mailbox. Now, he had the right attitude. He, you know, crumples it up and goes, eh, whatever. But it really had a negative effect on the rest of his family. And as we were telling me this story, my first reaction out of my mouth, that sometimes I don't always edit what comes out. I really try to be careful when I stub my toe in public and things like that. But... The first thing out of my life, out of my mouth was, well, these people really need to get another hobby, don't they? They really need to get a life. Instead of sending anonymous hate mail in church mailboxes to people, if you have an issue with somebody, you should go and talk to them prayerfully and sensitively and say, hey, what about this? But you don't send people anonymous hate mail in church mailboxes. I'm glad, you know, we don't do that here. That's just goofy, isn't it? But when someone tells you to get a life, it's generally not a positive exhortation. You know, they're, they're, they're pointing out something in your life that, ah, this, this might be an issue. It's like something to address, right? Well, Jesus came so that we could really have life. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, a little bit this morning. How are we doing with PowerPoint, John? Is it working? Maybe? Yes? No? We don't really, really, really need it if it's not going to work. Okay. No worries. Anyway, stay tuned and watch me. I'll, it, you don't need pictures. I'll wave. I'll act out everything. I'll do it. I'll make my own sign language. You'll follow me. Great. What we're going to do is begin with a brief history of the cosmos in about three minutes, okay, as background to the story. And then we're going to jump into the passage that was read from John chapter 10. Okay, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created... Yeah, heavens and the earth. He made everything, okay? He made the world, okay? So it's his. And creation goes on over a period of time whether it's seven literal days or just a long period of time. I don't know exactly, but God made everything. That's the big story, okay? That's an interesting parking lot conversation. Another time is how do we get here? How exactly did that happen? But I know the who of creation, okay? Because we're not here as a result of random chance. So the creator made us. So it's his planet, 
And at the, at the end of the whole process, after people, human beings, appeared on planet Earth, what did God say? And God saw what He had done and He said it was... No. No, no, no. He said it was very good. Okay. Uh, we're going to go over that part again because we're a little rusty on that. At the end of creation, after He had finished making human beings, God looked at the creation and said, This is very good. Okay. Do you know why I'm going over that? Because tomorrow morning... When you look in the mirror, you got to say, very good. I don't care about your opinion of yourself. Not really. We have to tune in to God's opinion of us. Okay? Good way to start the day. God said it's very good. And you think, well, maybe he's got some kind of perverse sense of humor or something like that or whatever. No. God said it's very good. The Bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amazing. So in the order of creation, God creates people and he puts them in charge of the planet as stewards, managers, so to speak, in his name. We haven't always done that well. But anyway, there's God and there's people and creation. Included in that creation is Satan. But Satan comes along and starts whispering in the ear of Adam and Eve. And says, are you really sure you can trust God? Don't you think, you know, you want to call your own shots? Aren't you grown up now? Isn't God, you know, are you really sure? And he's nattering away at them. And he persuades them to rebel against God. So Satan, a created being who longs to be worshipped himself, he didn't want to follow God's rules. That's why he got booted out of heaven in the first place. He wants to lash back at God. When someone hates us the most, they... They go after the thing that we care about. If you really want to get somebody, you go after their kids, right? What's most valuable to them? So Satan went after God's creation, God's special creation that said it was very good. He went after people. If I can persuade these people to rebel against God, then they will follow me, right? So Satan inserts himself in the authority. Next week, I'll have this all out for you, and you'll, you'll be able to understand it. So instead of... Now there's... God, and Satan has sort of usurped, stolen a seat of authority over the world, and then there's the rest of us, which is a problem. But then, that happens in Genesis 2. Genesis 3, something really good happens. God promises, I'm going to do something about this. I won't leave you in misery. I won't leave you in bondage. I'm going to do something about this. And out of Adam, even though he messed up, I'm going to fix this problem. I'm going to redeem this problem. I'm going to make it better, okay? I'm going to totally change things. So God promises to send Jesus, basically, to die for us, to win us out of, back out of slavery and bondage and set us free. Um, there is... I'm wondering if someone could... Loan me a Bible for a minute. I want to read a... a a couple of verses out of uh, Colossians 1 that um, are in the PowerPoint, but I didn't have in my notes. So I just borrow a Bible. What? Whoa! Okay, all right, we'll go with this. This is a really cool verse. This is in Colossians 1, all right? He, delivered, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we're in, 
Satan has taken over planet Earth. He's turned it into his kingdom. And that's where all the misery and sin and greed and selfishness, just ruining the planet, ruining humanity. God inserts himself back into the picture as a little baby. That's why we do the Advent thing, you know, which means to come. And we look forward to that at Christmas time. And that's really a big deal, right? So that's why Jesus came in the first place. It's like this. Can we do the next one? I don't know if you have a history of playing video games, but a long time ago, when video games were fairly new, this picture, is, it's not pixelated. That's how it really looked on the screen, okay? It's pretty primitive. I uh, went to the arcade and got a theological education playing a video game called Choplifter. The whole idea of Choplifter is that you fly your helicopter into enemy territory, you dodge all the bullets and missiles of the enemy, you land, and next one? You land, and you see all those little... Those little white blobs, those are supposed to be people. And you land on them. Now, you don't land on them. I wasn't very good at this game, and I kept squishing the hostages, which is not good. It lowers your score. But I tried to land close to them, and they jump on the helicopter, and then you fly them back to territory, which your own territory, which always seemed to have an American flag on it. I don't know why. But anyway, that you land them there, and as they get out of the helicopter, they go, thank you, thank you, thank you, in their simulated voices. That's the idea of choplifting. You fly into enemy territory, rescue the hostages, and fly them out and try not to get shot down or blow up, and you try not to kill any hostages in the process. All right? I spent a lot of quarters learning about redemption from a, a video game. I couldn't make a living at it, so I stuck with preaching. Now, what's the story behind this video game, behind Choplifter? It is a picture of redemption. It is a picture of God sending Jesus to rescue us out of the dominion of darkness and to bring us into his kingdom of light. That's not just some abstract theological concept or an excuse to talk about his video game Rick's video gaming past, okay? It has important implications for all of us. Okay, next slide. Key verse that I want to talk about in this passage this morning is this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I, this is Jesus talking, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Think about that. Satan has come to steal and kill and destroy. That's what he's after. Um, I think it would be really helpful for us to... uh, Next screen. All right. I'm going to read you a passage from um, A.W. Tozer. He's one of my favorite authors. I think he even preached here. We have a tape of him, don't we? We're going to convert that to digital and listen to that tomorrow. It's going to be great. Um... This is what uh, Tozer said about the nature of uh, Satan, our adversary. You may or may not believe in a real devil. He's not just some little cute costume that people get dressed up in Halloween. He's alive. There's a spiritual world out there that we cannot usually be in touch with, but it influences us considerably. That's why we pray. It's one of the reasons we pray, right? For protection and to see 
people released from the dominion of darkness and transferred into God's kingdom of light. Okay? Okay. This is what uh, Tozer says about how Satan feels about Christians. Satan hates the true Christian for several reasons. Now, he doesn't hate lame Christians. He wants to keep them lame. He wants to keep them lukewarm. He wants to keep them neutered and ineffective and just lame, okay? Uh, an interesting read would be the screw tape letters. I would recommend that to you by C.S. Lewis. Anyway, our spiritual enemy, Satan, <clears throat> hates us for several reasons. One reason is that God loves him, and whatever is loved by God is sure to be hated by the devil. Next. Another is that the Christian, being a child of God, bears a family resemblance to the Father and to the household of faith. Satan's ancient jealousy has not abated, nor his hatred for God diminished in the slightest. Whatever reminds him of God is without other reason the object of his malignant hate. Satan hates Christians. He hates you and me. He hates true Christians, okay? Christians that really have been changed and are trying to be transformed, seeking to be transformed by, by God. He hates it just because there's a family resemblance. Believe it or not, there's a family resemblance. I don't know if you've had this occasion, but when you meet someone else who's following Jesus, you might meet them in some random place like in a, a, a store or a school or an airport or a bus station or somewhere, someone... And you think, you know, I kind of thought they were a Christian because there's something different about them. Hopefully it's a positive thing, not weird, but, but positive. There's something, there's something different about that person. And do you know what that is? That's Holy Spirit in you making that connection with the Holy Spirit in someone else. And you're going, oh, yeah. I remember meeting a guy in a, um, a youth hostel in Portugal a long time ago when I was hitchhiking. And I hadn't sp spoken English to anybody in a long time. And um, I had limited Japanese. I still have limited Japanese. I said hi to some Japanese tourists. And this is the only conversation I'd had all day with anybody that uh, more than a few sentences. And I meet this guy. I see him reading a New Testament in his bed in the hospital. In, in a hostel, sorry. And we get talking. And I think, wow, there's there's something here that... Um, there's that, that connection. There's a family resemblance here that's so powerful and so compelling. So one of the reasons that Satan hates us is that there's a family resemblance. We resemble God and we represent what God is doing in humanity. Okay, next. A third reason is that a true Christian is a former slave who has escaped from the galley. You know, the slave ship. And Satan cannot forgive him for this affront. Next. A fourth reason is that a praying Christian is a constant threat to the stability of Satan's government. Listen closely. I highlighted it for this purpose. The Christian is a holy rebel, loose in the world, with access to the throne of God. Satan never knows from which direction the danger will come. That quote is from the book, That Incredible Christian. I love that. A Christian is a holy rebel set loose in the world with access to the throne of God. Wow. So now, 
the order of the cosmos has changed. Now, God is up at the top, as he always has been. And Satan has been displaced. The kingdom of light is in the process of displacing the kingdom of darkness, right? That's the kingdom that we've been called into. That's the gospel kingdom we're talking about, the kingdom of God. And all of us who have been adopted and invited into God's family are being enlisted on God's side of this spiritual war that's going on. So what are the implications in that for us? Remember that Satan has come to steal and kill and destroy. What kind of things... What kind of things does Satan steal from people? This is the audience participation time. Just yell out ideas. Hope. He comes to and to steal faith. Yeah. Joy. Oh, you know. Yeah, love and acceptance. Yeah, he steals love and acceptance from people. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, he'll he'll come and he'll you know, God's word goes out like good seed and he'll try to snatch it and distract it. You ever wonder why sometimes it's so hard to focus on on hearing God's word and paying attention? It's not just our natural inclination to be, oh, look at bright and shiny things. I think there's a spiritual battle going on there and I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm trying to pray or focus, I really need to as I say, Lord, help me to pay attention to what you're trying to say. Because there's this spiritual cloud, this opposition that's happening around us, right? Okay, what does Satan, what kind of things does Satan want to kill in our lives? Our spirit. Our spirit. Yeah, he wants to crush it and destroy it. He doesn't like people being set free. He hates it. He will oppose it. He wants sleepy churches. Last week, sorry, yesterday we had a really good elders retreat and They'll be telling you more about that in the future. But we found out that God has not called us to be... uh, He wants to deliver us from sameness, tameness, and lameness. Isn't that wonderful? He wants to deliver us from sameness, tameness, and lameness. My. See, so he wants to kill our spiritual life. He wants to kill the spiritual life of churches. He wants to attack church leadership and take them down. And then we'll be like sheep without shepherds. Um, Pray for your shepherds, okay? Because they have a big target on their backs. And pray for their families. Okay, what kind of things does Satan want to destroy? Peace of mind, yeah? Marriages. Right on. You know what? Whether you're married or not, or whether you want to be married or wish you weren't married, or whatever state you're in, whatever your marital state is in, okay, Satan wants to destroy marriages. Because that's the God's design for building block for a healthy society. Okay? That doesn't mean that people who are single don't have value. I'm not saying that, but it's marriage and family is really important. Yeah, Satan wants to destroy churches and community and healthy community. He wants church, Satan wants churches to stay 
same. He wants sameness, lameness, and tameness in churches, right? Because they, they won't be any threat to him. And you know, just stay asleep, go back to sleep, you know. Yeah. Anything else? What does Satan want to destroy? Your faith. Yeah. He whispers into your, do you really trust God? Just like back in the garden, you know, can you really believe him? Is that what God really said? Are you really sure? And when our faith is destroyed and weakened, we're less inclined to take good risks of faith, right? And we're neutralized. We're demoralized. You can have the best equipped army in the world, but if they don't have the right morale, if they don't have fighting spirit, they're neutralized. Okay, so keep these things in mind. I don't want to spend a lot of time giving the devil airtime, but just, just to remind you that we are in a spiritual war, and he, that's his agenda, to steal and kill and destroy. So how do we fight back? How do we fight against this? Well, we're going to be talking more about this in subsequent weeks, about how the gospel transforms us. But if I can just leave you with a couple of things to, to start working on this week before we close. We need to... First of all, the, the first part of this verse said that, uh, ah, here's, here's the good part. The first part says, the thief has come to, to steal, kill, and destroy. But, Jesus says, I am come that they may have life, and what? Have it to the 55% mark? I have come so that they may have life, and they could have a slightly above, ed, above average, somewhat mediocre existence. Oh, maybe I'm not reading it properly because it's not showing up on my screen. <laughs> I have come that they might have life and they will experience sameness, lameness, and tameness. I, sorry, I need to adjust my eyes again. Okay. I have come that they may have life and have it to the, what's that word? Full. What? Full. Okay, look, there's some kind of disconnect here. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Okay. Well, what does that look like? Some of you are saying, my life's too full already. And I'm not talking about an agenda that's so crowded, all your margins, you don't have any margins in life. But a life that was really the way God intended it to be in the first place. Does it mean that I won't have any problems? No. If it's any consolation, when you try to follow Jesus, you tend to have more problems. But the good news is, is that he's with you in the problem. So I'd rather have 10 problems with Jesus than one problem without him. Or no problems without him, to be honest. I should be careful what I say in public. I didn't really mean that. I don't want 10 problems. Or 10 new ones. I don't want 10 old problems, Lord. But you understand what I'm saying? It doesn't mean that we won't have problems or struggles or challenges. But Jesus wants us to experience life to the full. Here's the problem. Here's the disconnect for many of us in the church. Why are we so bogged down with sameness, tameness, and lameness? Many of us are trying to live the Christian life on our own strength, which is a recipe for frustration. All that is is moralism. It's empty rule-keeping without allowing Jesus to live in us through the Holy Spirit and change us from the inside out. That's how, we, that's how we're supposed to change. That's what the fullness of life in Jesus is all about. 
Okay? And as we confess, as we get rid of, offload the junk in our lives and invite Holy Spirit to fill the void that is left by that junk, then we experience more and more freedom. But it's something we need to learn to walk in. If you incarcerate a person for 25 years and then all of a sudden just let them loose on the street, they hardly know how to act. They hardly know how to conduct themselves because they're not used to that freedom. I think freedom would be wonderful, but it's a little can be a little bit daunting, a little bit scary. And that's why um, often people have transition houses or halfway houses so they can get used to living on their own, functioning on their own, and then away they go. I think many of us need that kind of spiritual halfway house because after we're set free of stuff, we need to learn to walk in that freedom. We, we, need to be, we need to learn how to listen to Holy Spirit so He guides us in conversations and guides us in situations. We, know how to re, we need to know how to resist Satan's lies. Like He'll start planting lies. He'll get you looking at someone across the sanctuary and saying, oh, that person doesn't like me. They scowled at me. I know they, they, they don't like me. And, if, and you're thinking... Now, in your saner moments, you think, wait a minute, I'm not in middle school, and they're probably not upset at me. Maybe something else is going on. But Satan plants that little, ah, they didn't like you. You know, they never liked you. They always walk by without talking to you. They probably have a grudge against you. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust them. You know, whisper, whisper, whisper. Now, that's just a mild case in a church sanctuary that you may never talk to that person. But imagine in a marriage. Oh, she'll never change. He always, you know, always and never those two poisonous words in a relationship bad 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 and he tries to sow doubt in us Uh, he tempts us he knows our weak spots and he does not play fair he plays dirty so we have to resist satan one of the ways we do that is praying and go immediately to god saying lord this is i'm being overwhelmed with this stuff will you help me in this situation and find a safe person that you can walk with and i have uh, a couple of buddies that i i text you know if i'm feeling a spiritual opposition or attack or anything like i send out emergency texts generally not between 1 a.m and 7 a.m but in case of emergency i i know i have friends i could text in the middle of the night but generally i try to do it during waking hours but i will and they will do the same to me. So, praying, having spiritual, good quality spiritual friendships, and learning how to use the, God, the Word of God like a, the, the powerful weapon it was designed to be. Ephesians chapter 6 says it's like a sword, a two-edged sword for defense and offense. And we use God's words of promises to address the enemy and saying, you know what? Jesus sees me as righteous. I'll give you a really good verse. Uh, somebody mentioned this on the way in. 1 John 1, 9. Anybody know what that says, that verse says? If we confess our sins... Sorry, I don't have it up here today, but I'll, I'll bring it for next week. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm going to give you a practical demonstration of how you can use this verse to tell Satan to get lost if he's 
nagging you and harassing you. Imagine if you have something in your past that nobody knows anything about and you don't want anyone to know it. It's like that closet in your house that you never clean and you don't, you know, you just, whatever it is, you just don't want to have to deal with that. Um, it's full of junk and smelly stuff and you just, you never open that door when you have company over and hardly even show it to family. It's just closed all the time. So if there's a closet in your life like that that you don't want anybody to see, what happens if Satan says, well, you know, you're a Christian. What are you doing with all that junk in the closet? What about that, you know? How can God love you? How can God use you? How can you say you're a Christian when you got all the junk in your closet? Now, I know about that stuff. Accuse, 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 accuse. Here is the good news, people. We don't have to stay mired in sameness, lameness, and tameness. We can, with God's courage that he gives us, open the door of the closet, look at all the junk, ask God to help us clean it out. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And then what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I can't be a good person on my own. Tried it for years. Failed miserably. Sometimes I was kind of good at it. Actually, what I got really good at was projecting some kind of spiritual aura or image. But inside, rotten. Completely rotten. Then I meet Jesus. And he starts going through the dirty closets in my life. Not a pretty process. The problem with my closets is that they keep accumulating junk. You probably don't have that problem, so that's good. But mine, all of a sudden, it's like, that's not a dust bunny, that's a dust monster. <laughs> you know, what's that stuff doing in that? Ah, and I go and straighten it out with Jesus, and he cleans it out, and it even smells cleaner after he's done. So I can go back to Satan and say, you know what? I confess my sins. Jesus says he's, I'm clean in his sight, so get lost, take a hike, don't bug me. Be gone in the name of Jesus. So there's plaguing thoughts that try to sap our energy, sap our morale, and attack us. We don't have to stand for that. Now that's just one example of how to use one Bible verse, okay? But it's something we need to learn how to do. We need to learn how to encourage each other and encourage ourselves, and we need to how to learn the the word of God in a proactive way. And then we'll start seeing the gospel transforming us, transforming this spiritual family, and transforming our communities. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that you've set us free from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light. We're so grateful for that. Um, we are so grateful that Jesus' wounds paid our ransom and set us free from spiritual slavery. Show us how to apply this in daily life. Please forgive us when we settle for sameness, lameness, and tameness. We don't want to stay there. We want to go on and experience that full life that you have for us. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that is bound up and desires to be free, I pray that you would reveal to them your plan for their spiritual freedom and help them to walk in it 
And I pray that you would help Elam Chapel learn how to walk in the Spirit. Help us to learn how to do that as individuals and as a church family. We pray these things confidently. In Jesus' name, amen.